Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 20, They're Going to Make Us Transhuman. Phillips was hurrying to get dressed as Darby pounded on the outside door to his room. He opened it and she ran inside. Gary, I had to come up here. What's the matter? We've been here for months. It's getting kind of boring. Oh, it's not getting boring. These people are going to make us into transhumans. How? Microscopic blue enclosures housing that virus that changes everything within a human being. These viruses become part of the body and they renew and repair anything wrong with the human genome. In sum, they are changing humanity. One side of me, Dari, wonders why that isn't such a bad thing. And you believe all this? You take the word of people who have used murder as an instrument to further their cause? They tried to kill us, or has your memory blanked out, Gary? They are on the verge, Darby, of improving the human race. So you think if they get rejected by the public, they will peacefully and nobly step aside? That's what they've assured me, and taking into account their goals, that's the only course of action for them. Any other action would be against what they have set out to accomplish here. You know what your problem is, Gary? You're a first-class chump. You let these authority figures tell you how good they are, and about all the good they're going to do, and in your naivete, you believe them. And it isn't just here. You allowed yourself to get locked into a lifestyle that didn't fit your temperament and your abilities. You believed a long line of people who told you the precious things you had to do, all the socially acceptable paths you had to take to find your place in suburbia. You listened in your action with your multi-room house and your several cars and knowing all the right people. And you know the rest. Not because you wanted to, because you were told to. When you finally realized that, and when you found out that lifestyle didn't give you what you wanted, you just got up and left it. Got away from it. But let me tell you something, Gary. You don't know anything about lifestyles. You don't know anything about yourself. Because you don't think. You respond. If you want to respond to what these people are doing here, then go ahead. I'm not going to do it. And if we got out of here, who would we tell? They paid off everyone. People in high positions would squelch us in a minute. How do we stop them? We you know, Ms. O'Malley, it doesn't pay for you to get so upset. <laughs> Said Jay, laughing as her voice came out of the speaker in the ceiling. Jay was not through with her harassment. Her voice came out of successive speakers. Getting a little fearful, Miss O'Malley? Don't want to be a transhuman? <laughs> she laughed again and her laughter echoed down the corridor, following Darby like a vicious snake when she left the room. Darby opened the door to her own room and shut it quickly. The laughter had ceased and when she ran over to the bed, she sat on the edge. You can't escape me, Miss O'Malley. You can't escape your destiny. You're trapped here and only leave here when I say so, and you'll be a different person, an improved breed," said Jay, resonating her voice throughout the room. No, no, I won't do it. She crawled on her knees across the bed and put the pillows over her ears, but Jay continued her sinister, almost demonic laughter. <laughs> Phillips went up to breakfast. He was sorting over every word Darby had said, but he hadn't come to a new course of action. And even if he had logically reasoned out the validity of her argument, he was still not prepared to deal with it emotionally. He walked into the doctor's private dining area in the rear of the cafeteria. 
Sylvester and his three associates stood as Phillips came into the lavishly paneled room. Ah, Mr. Phillips, do come in. Let me introduce my fellow uh, doctors here, uh, Doctors Parshak Schmidt and Chandler. Where's Jay? asked Phillips as he stepped onto the thick red carpet. Oh, Jay never dines with us. She eats alone, I'm afraid, said Sylvester as Phillips was seated in front of the white linen tablecloth. I take it breakfast was not the only area of concern to invite me up here. Very perceptive, Mr. Phillips, said Schmidt. We'd like to brief you on the public relations efforts. We have, of course, top-notch experts at the Cogni Foundation working on this. But as our outside observer, with your advertising background, you might be able to offer some suggestions. Since you are a witness to our achievements and will be a part of them, we want you to know what to expect from the public. He said as he alternated talking and nibbling on his food. Phyllis began eating his breakfast, listening with a new apprehension. Darby's words had given him a new apprehension. Now he felt like he wanted to get away from the Colossus. Now one must keep in mind that the public is intrigued with great and noble scientific endeavors. Oh, some people might try to stress the more socially amenable goals, but underneath it all, they're fascinated with technology. They'll do whatever we say. All they have to do is follow the science. Dr. Chandler spoke next. Cogni has press releases already in the wings, and we prayed you and Miss O'Malley in front of the general public. Coupling this will be leaks about our research. It won't take long for someone to put it all together into a scientific wonder. After that, Cogni will hold a press conference, said Parshik. We will buy media time for a capacity audience at the Harbor Auditorium in Miami. We'll parade our revitalized people, including you and Miss O'Malley. They will tell our story just the way we want them to. Why, because they've all been paid off? Perhaps, it doesn't matter to you. You will be a new human. Sounds like you've got everything planned out, said Phillips as he sipped his coffee. Indeed we have, Mr. Phillips. The public relations part of this was devised long before our success here. Through the years it's been updated, but the final plan is set to go on March 13th. It all sounded so good, but he kept coming back to Darby's warnings. So when will we be fully transhuman? Just a few more steps in the process, which involves injecting the virus into you, Mr. Phillips. Good morning, Mr. Phillips, said Jay as she came into the room. I've been listening to your conversation and understand that you are looking forward to your new life as a transhuman. Please be seated, gentlemen. You know, Mr. Phillips, we must be successful in showing the public that what we are doing is in the best interests of society. We will then let them jump to the conclusions and we will have the results, said Jay, beginning another long-winded talk. Phillips sat down and listened, but his thoughts were now with Darby. Darby O'Malley was not the type of person who responded to attacks by turning the other cheek. She would be the first to admit that not only did she hold grudges, she would return the attack more forcefully and more effectively than the aggressor. Jay's arrogance, however, and harassment and invasion of privacy over the months had brought Darby to the boiling point. When the laughing ceased over the speakers before, Darby had sat on the edge of the bed, looking up at the speakers with her teeth exposed. Getting up, she grabbed a chair and hurled it at the ceiling speakers, moving the tiles, but nothing more. 
She now knew it was time to act, even though she couldn't escape from the underwater laboratory or stop the transhuman injections. She would sabotage it. She searched her room for her instruments to use in her plan. Circling around the room, she unplugged the metal pole and removed the lamps. Twisting the sections of the pole, she took apart one of the sections and tucked it under her armpit, threw her the jersey and in into her jumpsuit. Quickly, she looked in the mirror. If she let her left arm hang by her side, it would cover the pole completely. With an unusual smile, she turned from the mirror and left her room. As she stepped up to the corridor and headed to the core elevators, she could see out of the corner of her eye that two of the workers were definitely following her. She walked up to the elevator and pushed the button. The doors opened and there was another man who was armed inside the elevator. I'm afraid this area is restricted for you, Miss O'Malley, he said as he pushed the button closing the doors just as two other men appeared outside. What I'm saying is, get out of the elevator, Miss O'Malley. Jay has left orders for you to be kept off the elevators. She thrust the pipe across the air, connecting flatly with the man's jar and knocking him cold. She pulled the gun out of his holster and kept it trained on him as she pushed the white button marked Azos. The elevator responded and soon the doors were open to the entrance room to the Azos. She rushed out before the other guard could even move. She looked down at the guard. Open the door and go in there, she said as the guard looked at her unbelievingly. She held the gun with both hands and pointed it directly at his head. He opened the stainless steel door and they all went inside the Azos corridor. Picking up the pipe, she ran down the corridor. Men and women were working in the labs and the prisoners were in the recreation room as Darby passed by in the outside corridor. In the meantime, the guards had brought the core elevators back up and found the unconscious man inside. They immediately called their superior. An intercom buzzer sounded in the dining room and Sylvester answered it. Yes, what is it? Miss O'Malley, she's knocked off the elevator guard and gone below. What did you say? fumed Jay as she went over to the intercom. Jay, she's gone below and she's armed. Send all available personnel. Well, Mr. Phillips, your so-called friend seems to have taken matters into her own hands. But she'll regret it. She'll deeply regret it, she said as she stomped from the room. Phillips, now fearing for Darby's safety, followed behind, as did the other men. Dropping the pipe, Darby walked into another corridor. She lifted the gun up with both hands and fired several times at the glass inside the labs. The men stopped what they were doing as if they were mannequins and then they leaped to the floor. The bullets bounced off the impenetrable glass, ricocheting around the corridor. Finally, the trigger clicked and she was out of ammunition. She dropped the gun and ran forward down the ramp, but the door opened up and close to a dozen people were coming up the ramp. Running back the other way, she picked up the pipe as the guard came toward her. He backed off as Jay, Phillips, and the others ran out of the core elevators. Darby jutted left, wielding the pipe. She hacked at the glass as if she were trying to kill the experiment inside. She was only hurting her hands as she tried to hammer the other sections. The only thing she accomplished was to disturb the already jittery personnel inside. The groups were closing in on her. She dropped the pipe and lingered between the two groups in confusion and fear. You miserable little urchin. You really think you could break that glass? And what would you have gained? You're mad. Your actions prove it. You're mad. 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 What are you going to do? Asked Phillips. That's none of your concern, Mr. Phillips. She said as she spoke to her guards. Get her out of here to room 15. 
Hurry! The guards lifted a squirming Darby under the armpits and carried her toward the ramp as Phillips stood helplessly. The nerve of that young woman! All right, why are you still standing around? Go back to your positions. Dudley, you stay here. You have tests to run. Prepare the injections for Mr. Phillips and Miss O'Malley. So in order to get that stuff in, you have to freeze us, don't you? Are you questioning me, Mr. Phillips? Yes, I am. I think it's an extreme step that we never asked for. She is a stone in my shoe, and so are you. I want that stone removed. You will be our prize examples, and you will do exactly as we say. Mr. Phillips, you will return to your quarters and to your call for. I want two guards out in front of his room. Phillips returned with the guards to his cabin. Jay kept the guards in the corridor and, and ordered Phillips to remain inside. Phillips stayed inside the cabin all that day, and the next day he thought obsessively about what had happened to him in the past few weeks. When the monitor across the room came on, designating room 15, he slowly stood from the bed. Incomprehensibly, as the picture came into view, Darby O'Malley was frozen inside a transparent container, suspended in midair. Oh my God! In 15 hours, Mr. Phillips, your friend Miss O'Malley will become completely transhumanized. She will be ready to live her life forever. Join us next time for another episode of Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.